Welcome to The Peel, where we break through the surface of sustainability in Florida and get to the juicy stuff at the center of it all. I'm your host, Amber Whittle, Executive Director of South Face Sarasota. We're a nonprofit that is increasing the resilience, affordability, and health of Florida's buildings and communities, and we're saving the planet along the way. Check out our programs and events at southface.org, Sarasota. Our guest today is John Cook, a senior research fellow at the Melbourne, Australia, Center for Behavioral Change. Welcome, John, and thanks for joining us on The Peel. Hi, Amber. It's great to talk to you. So I first came across your work almost a decade ago um, when I took your virtual Denial 101X class um, called Making Sense of Climate Science Denial. Uh, What prompted you to create that class? I was halfway through my PhD and MOOCs were all the rage at that time. MOOCs standing for Massive Open Online Course, Free Online Courses. And so I was just casually chatting to my boss saying, yeah, um, you know, I'd really like to do a MOOC about climate misinformation one of these days. And then a few weeks later, someone said, hey, I hear you're doing a MOOC. I was like, what? <laughs> and so it turns out my boss had got so excited by that casual conversation that he got the wheels in motion and and before I knew it um, I was I spent the next year developing that MOOC and um, and putting my PhD completion back <laughs> over a year. You didn't get to use it as your dissertation? No well my dissertation um, was about misinformation um, but it was more focused on the scientific consensus on climate change and um, communicating the consensus and also uh, countering misinformation about consensus. Right, and that's, you did um, a talk for us at South Face during one of our all hands meetings, and that's where you really started with was the consensus. Do you wanna tell our listeners about that? Sure, so uh, early in my PhD, um, I published some research uh, where we, Firstly, tried to just quantify what is the actual scientific consensus on human-caused global warming. So we did a, an analysis. We looked at papers, scientific studies about climate change, and we found that there was 97% agreement amongst any papers that stated the position on human-caused global warming. So we published that paper. We we um. Uh, communicated our main result, this 97% consensus. And um, by coincidence, uh, the Obama administration were just about to unroll some um, or release some climate policy. And so they, uh, President Obama tweeted about the 97% consensus and gave a speech mentioning it. And uh, I remember waking up in Australia the next morning thinking, ah, President Obama tweeted about our our new scientific study. I wonder if that's a big deal. And it turns out it kind of was. And a, a lot of media attention was directed towards our paper. And and then a lot of negative backlash from uh, people who didn't want to see climate action and didn't think that there was a consensus. And what they did was they attacked our research. So I ne- ended up spending the second half of my PhD defending the research that I had published in the first half of the PhD. And so is that how you became interested um, 
in the communications aspect of science denial because you were having to defend yourself and trying to figure out the different methods they were using to attack your paper? I was already researching misinformation techniques and communication and psychology. My my PhD was psychology and and the consensus paper was really almost a diversion. Um, so so this for me was very much a kind of meta moment where I was researching misinformation and then suddenly I was the target of misinformation. It was a bit like that that Tron movie, the, the original Tron movie way back in like the 80s where Jeff Bridges um, designs and plays computer games and then he gets pulled into the computer game and suddenly he has to <laughs> he has to play the games as a actual person in the game. Exactly. I mean, your paper was really helpful for me that especially um, your click. Can you tell us what that is? Uh, you mean flick? The flick, fallacies? Sorry. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I was actually giving a workshop for young people, um, like for like it was a youth summit, um, where I was trying to explain the techniques of misinformation, and I, and there were there are five main techniques uh, or fallacies of misinformation. And I was thinking, I need an acronym to make this easy for young people to understand. So I was thinking, all right, what do we have? We've got fake experts. We've got unrealistic expectations. We've got cherry picking. Oh, this is going in a direction that's not good for uh, young people. So <laughs> so then I reworked it and, and I ended up coming up with flick. Fake experts, logical fallacies, impossible expectations, cherry picking and conspiracy theories. So I um, I, I I presented that acronym to the youth summit, and then uh, it got quite a, a good response. Like people found it very helpful um, uh, in helping them understand um, and remembering the different techniques in misinformation, uh, and so that became a backbone of our MOOC the, as well. Like we use Flick, and and I continue to use it now as just a, um, a very useful framework for helping remember techniques used to mislead. Absolutely. And as I've told you before, I really use it. I still keep it on my phone um, and I've sent it to everyone far and wide because it's really useful when you're, especially in the media, you're hearing something in the media and then you're, it's really nice to sort of try and pick it apart with my, you know, scientific brain to say, okay, this is cherry picking or, you know, this is a logical fallacy. It really helps me. So especially um, during the explosion of conspiracy theories, um, especially in the US, and then you had said it's really infected the rest of the world, which made me sad. Um, but hmm. countering them is particularly tricky. So what's your advice in trying to counter uh, conspiracy theories? So Conspiracy theories are, are tricky because once someone goes down the rabbit hole of believing conspiracy theories, um, what comes with that is distrust of, of institutions, of uh, scientific information, just facts in general. And that's problematic because if you're trying to um, persuade somebody that their conspiracy theory isn't true with facts, and they don't trust facts, they're not going to trust what you're saying. So it's really, really hard to crack through that wall. Um, so 
So the important thing about conspiracy theories and, and trying to counter them is who is your target audience? Are you trying to persuade that small um, percentage of the public who are conspiracy theorists and don't trust what you're, you've got to say to them? Or are you trying to inoculate the rest of the public, the, the majority of them, who are still open to facts and information, but also potentially vulnerable to um, misinformation uh, and conspiracy theories. Um, I tend to, especially if you have limited resources, I tend to focus on inoculating the rest of the public. Um, so explaining to them the techniques used to mislead in conspiracy theories, because I find you get more, um, I guess, more, more impact that way. Like it's more effective. However, that, that's not to say that we should give up on our cranky uncle who has a who is, believes conspiracy theories, you know, we should, still should try to uh, persuade them. In that situation, what I recommend is two things, three things. First, don't ridicule. Like that's, don't, don't make fun of them or, or try to make them feel stupid because you'll never change a person's mind that way. Secondly, uh, approach the conversation with empathy and curiosity. Um, genuine curiosity as in try to try to understand where they're coming from um, uh, and uh, and try to uh, encourage them to explain why they believe what they believe and thirdly appeal to commonly held values uh, for example the value of critical thinking conspiracy theorists like to think of themselves as critical thinkers they're not gullible they're not like the other sheeple who just believe what the the government is telling them, uh, and so encourage them in a empathetic, gentle way to turn that critical thinking um, on to their own conspiracy theories. Um, are they coherent? Are they based on evidence? Uh, and it's it's a long shot. It's a it's a tough sell, but it's it, it's one avenue to potentially. Um, soften their belief in their conspiracy theory. It's such great advice because when you think about the individual one-on-one, -on -one, it takes years to deprogram people. So getting to people just a little bit while they're still vulnerable, but before they really, you know, leave the sheeple, um, <laughs> it's uh, that does sound much more a much more productive use of time. And my dad was a climate denier, and we would have. Um, vigorous discussions about climate change uh, for years uh, to the point where, you know, and I'm like, I've done a PhD on how to argue about climate change, but, you know, I pretty much uh, gave up on changing his mind. So, um, but, but I, eventually he did change his mind. And I think that just sending that social signal to the people that you love, that you care about an issue, that can matter as well because we're all social animals. So you don't necessarily have to have that killer argument or be able to laser pinpoint the logical fallacy in their argument. I mean, it's it's good if you can. Like We should aim for that. We should aim to be critical thinkers. But it can be as simple as just communicating that you care about an issue and that sends a social signal that can have an influence. Great advice. So tell me, since Denial 101X in the last, you know, eight, 10 years, what have you been doing? Uh, 
I've I've been researching how to counter misinformation in a way that's engaging and scalable because I can design lab experiments that show that you can effectively neutralize misinformation. But it's it's one thing to get a result in a lab and it's another thing to actually make a difference in the real world in, in a way that actually shifts the needle. And so it was actually at a misinformation conference that I was attending in Washington, DC, where I happened to meet some app developers and we got talking about the my psychology research and how you could potentially um, scale it up in a way that would re could reach lots of people. And we started working on a game that um, inoculates people against the techniques of misinformation, but in a fun way using game uh, gameplay elements. And um, we crowdfunded it uh, in order to raise the funds for the app developers to work on it uh, and ended up developing it and releasing it back in 2020, working on it over the first year of the pandemic. Uh, the game's called Cranky Uncle. And it, the idea of it is that a cranky uncle explains the techniques, the flick techniques used to mislead. Uh, and then you you play lots of quiz questions where you're trying to, where you're shown misinformation and you have to spot which flick is in the game. Uh, are you seeing in each example? So, um, so uh, in the last year, uh, then uh, UNICEF approached me and said, hey, can you, can you create a vaccine version of that game? Because we're trying to counter misinformation about vaccines. And so I've been working on that with uh, UNICEF. That's awesome. And I was just thinking, you know, we've got a couple of months till Thanksgiving and that everyone should download that app. I assume it's in Apple and um, and Google Play so that people can, so you can be ready for your cranky uncles when holiday season rolls around. Yeah, yeah, you can, the game's free. You can play it on yeah iPhone or Android. Uh, you can also play it on your browser. So if you just go to crankyuncle.com, there's download links from there. Absolutely. And I read in your Wikipedia page, you have a Wikipedia page, um, that you are an evangelical Christian and that that um, really dictates your view of climate change and how important it is. Uh, can you tell me more about that? Yeah, so when I was um, first getting interested in the issue of climate change, I thought of it as an environmental issue, and it is. But the more I looked into it, the more I learned that climate change is, um, it the impacts of climate change hit the countries that have contributed to climate change the least. And to me, that's when I realized that climate change is a social justice issue. And uh, social justice is, is important to me, like, like in terms of, um, like uh, in, in Matthew, in the Bible, it talks about the weightier matters of, of justice and mercy uh, and faithfulness. And so uh, that's, that's when the issue um, transcended being just an environmental issue and it, it, I started to get a real fire in the belly about the issue of climate change. Uh, it wasn't just about having arguments with my cranky uncle and, I, and identifying the fallacies. It was about how do we actually get real action on climate change because of this, this human element, the, the impact that 
climate change has on people. So um, yeah, that's that that's been the, the, what's been the fire in my belly for the last decade working on this issue. And I really appreciate that turning it into an actionable item and and trying to make it um, a difference in the world, not just you know making an esoteric scientific study. Yeah, yeah. like like for me, like I my day job is. Um, being a psychology researcher, but I also used to be, before I did my PhD, I was a cartoonist. And uh, so what I'm doing now is trying to combine my old life and my new life, um, humor, cartoons, and um, psychology and games in a, in a way to make a difference in the real world. But when people ask me, well, how can I make a difference about climate change? I basically say, take what's unique to you and uh, what are you passionate about? What are you interested in? What are you good at? And how can you um, use that to to make a difference? Because we all c combine our, you know, we all are unique and we can do different things and we can combine them in even more unique things. Combining cartoons and psychology research is, is not something you see every day, and but we can all contribute uniquely in that kind of way. I completely agree. I mean, my story is, um, strange like yours. I'm a marine biologist. Um, I actually studied up at um, Townsville at James Cook. But oh wow, yeah. But <laughs> South Face is very practical. They really work at the built environment and do small changes that end up, you know, being big changes. And so I was getting really disillusioned in marine biology just watching the constant decline, especially of corals. And so that's what really attracted me to doing this work. Is it something that's actionable? that's making a direct impact. Uh, and so I completely agree with your advice. Uh, you never know what your career path is gonna be. So embrace it all. Yeah, and, and that's really interesting too. Like, and James Cook, I, up at the Great Barrier Reef, because um, yep. uh, originally I'm a Queenslander too. So um, so like I, I lived most of my life in the Sunshine State, as we call it. Well, isn't Florida also the Sunshine State? We are. It's, <laughs> it's very sunny today. It's hot. <laughs> so, so we're kind of like sister states in that sense. Um, and and you can see the impact of, of climate change on the Great Barrier Reef with your own eyes. Like I've yep. snorkeled on the reef and you can see the bleaching. So yep. it makes you feel like an old timer. <laughs> yeah. It does. So my last question is... Um, I thought it was really interesting. People get very focused on their own part of the world. So I knew it was happening in America, but you had said that the conspiracy theories and that distrust had really spread around the world pretty quickly. And so with that in mind, what do you think the future holds for climate change and climate change denial? So um, another aspect of my research is trying to understand climate misinformation better. And the way we do that, because there's so much misinformation out there, uh, it's it's a big data problem. And so we've been using machine learning to detect and categorize climate misinformation. Uh, and that enables us to take hundreds of thousands of articles, put them in our machine and construct a history of the different arguments used in climate misinformation. What we find over the last 20 years is that Climate misinformation is transitioning away from science denial and moving towards solutions denial. In other words, it's it's not 
I mean, there are still people arguing it's not happening, it's not human caused, but more and more we are seeing them arguing we can't solve it, it's too hard, the solutions will be harmful or the solutions won't work. Um, it, it, examples such as climate policy will harm the economy or renewables or wind, wind farms are going to kill birds or solar panels don't work at night. It's, it's arguments that are just as misinforming as the science denial arguments, but but targeting solutions and trying to erode people's support for climate action and climate solutions. So solutions denial really is the future of climate misinformation. Um, it's it's going, we're going to be seeing it more and more. So uh, we need to be um, on the lookout for techniques, the techniques used in solutions misinformation. That's great advice and horribly depressing because I remember talking to so many people that they might admit that climate change was happening, but not that not that it was human caused. Um, and they just say, well, let's just move on to the adaptions. Well, if now the adaptions are um, are facing denial communications, then we are going to have to double down and work on on countering that. Yeah, we we definitely need to, and and this is actually um, like most of the people working in my space, including myself, like guilty as charged, have focused mostly on the science misinformation. Um, we we really need to be putting more work into understanding and countering the misinformation targeting solutions, uh, and one one new form of climate misinformation that's really come to the fore just in like recent years has been greenwashing. So it's it's not arguing that solutions won't work or that climate change isn't real. It's more arguing we, we're already doing enough. It, and companies do this a lot. They'll just say, well, we've, we've just spent $10 million on solar panels. So yay, our company. But it's a fossil fuel company that has a billion dollar budget and they're only spending you know a tiny fraction of their budget on renewables and the rest is spent on you know, fossil fuels that are harming the environment. So we need to now, now be on the lookout for greenwashing techniques like that as well. Absolutely. Well, thank you to John and thanks for listening to The Peel. To get involved with South Face Sarasota, visit southface.org Sarasota. Until next time, stay sunny. <laughs>